Christ, who was God himself, the creator, came down, humbled himself, born in a stable, cradled in a manger, and took upon himself the form of a servant. Now, which of these two philosophies should we accept? Notice in the next text that you'll appear uh, see on the screen, God fellowships the humble. And that is found in Isaiah, the 57th chapter, and the 15th verse. And it says this, Thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and the holy place. With him also, that is of a humble and contrite spirit. So God promises special fellowship to what? The humble. And we're going to notice, before we're through this evening, we're going to notice the height of humility. What is real humility? What is the most difficult thing for a Christian to do? Next is, what promise does God give to the humble? Psalm 25, verse 9. God guides the humble, the meek. Psalm 25, verse 9 says, The meek will he guide in judgment. The meek will he teach his way. Many, many people come to us all over America and other lands wherever we travel. They said, I'd like to know what the Lord would have me do. Are you critical? Are you criticizing people? Then don't expect guidance. Guidance comes from the meek individual. The meek will he guide in judgment. The meek will he teach his way. We can be happy and meek both at the same time. Did you know that? <laughs> in fact, the meek person is the only person who can really be happy. He can't be meek, put it on. But no man can be happy who isn't meek. Because <laughs> there's a reason why. The humble will be exalted. 1 Peter 5, 6. It says, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. So I don't have to exalt myself. You don't have to exalt yourself. None of us has to exalt ourselves. We humble ourselves, and God will do the exalting. Amen. Somebody said, well, how do you adapt this to our home life? We'll come to it in a minute. Number seven, humble people. How will humble people show their humility? James 5, 16. And this is what it says. James 5, 16. Confess your faults one to another. Do what? Confess our faults one to another. And then it says, and pray for one another that you may be healed. Do you know in Christian circles, largely, we've done just the opposite? Instead of confessing our faults one to another and then praying for one another, we confess the other man's faults and then ask him to pray for us or ask somebody else to pray for us. So we don't have to confess anybody's faults except our own. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? How does a person, this is the most difficult thing in the Christian life, as far as I know, for a person to actually say, I'm sorry, without saying, but you made me do it. 
You see. Whenever I say to my wife, will you forgive me? Now it's your turn. <laughs> That's no apology at all. And I thank the Lord that my father taught me. I don't know, he, I don't know that he ever said, you boys apologize. I don't know if he once said so. But he set the example that was absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. We would come at the close of the day, for Father never missed a worship, so far as I remember, morning and night. Out of the eight brothers, five became ministers. I believe that fathers, having worshiped morning and night and apologizing, were some of the main ingredients. Not all of the ingredients, but they're some of the main ingredients. Father had eight boys, <coughs> no girls. And you can imagine how that would irritate even a good man to have eight boys. <coughs> and we boys were, were boys. We were thoroughbred registered coon boys. So when I say that father did, uh, was irritated, humanly speaking, he had a reason to be. I'll just give you two or three simple examples of, of what boys will do, you know, some of the more innocent examples. There was a man in our town, his name was Elry, and he was a very lazy man. He believed that no man, particularly himself, should work more than 25, 25 days a year, and he practiced it. He let his wife work all the while, you know. And since he didn't work much, they were poor people, so he would try to arrange to come over to our house about the time we'd eat dinner. He didn't worry about his, whether his wife got over or not. He knew that, that we had a nice dairy and some nice good hens, and uh, mother always took advantage of the dairy, you know, when you have a, a lot of cows, you can have all the cream you want. And mother would poach eggs in cream. <clears throat> and Ellery seemed to know just when to come. And he'd come, and of course, mother wouldn't say, Ellery, we're going to eat, but you sit there. <laughs> she wouldn't do that. She wasn't happy over what he was doing, but she was a lady. And would you have something to eat? And he sat down and he just gobbled up those eggs. And then, to add insult to injury, instead of saying, Mrs. Coon, man, those eggs poached in cream were wonderful. He said, Mrs. Coon, I like your eggs cooked in milk. And that made Mother furious. He wouldn't even acknowledge he was gulping down cream. And she said, think of the old hog. He was our zoological brother. We were coons, and he was a hog. Here she said he, he knows it's cream. He knows it's eggs poached in cream, and he won't even acknowledge it's cream. And we're not charging him and letting him eat, and he just calls it milk. <laughs> Didn't like it. And so none of us liked him. <laughs> one day the neighbors were so upset at him, they decided that one night they'd tar and feather him. And, uh, 
course, as I look back on it, it would have been a wonderful thing if they had. You know, he'd had a good covering. But he came over to seek refuge in Dad's home. And Dad stood at the door, so if the neighbors came in, Dad was going to protect him. And he said, I'm not going to do anything to protect myself. Wasn't he a hero? <laughs> and Dad kind of got a little upset then. He said, if you don't do anything to protect yourself, you ought to be tarred and feathered. <laughs> see, you see, my father was a Christian, but he sometimes spoke rather plainly. <laughs> and sometimes he got irritated. And, but we all knew that Elry Burdick was a lazy as a white hound, whatever that is. And we didn't have any respect for him. But one day, just one day, Elric came, and he brought a lunch. And that was one of the biggest miracles that my older brothers had ever witnessed in his life. He brought a lunch. And, you know, we used to have those little old wood stoves go up through, and, and above you'd have a kind of a, a, a wood house, and you'd walk upstairs out the wood house, and above there you'd see uh, where the stovepipe came through. And he put his lunch upstairs there by this pipe to keep it warm. And two of my older brothers, they were curious. They wondered what this old lazy fella could ever bring once in his life. So while he was downstairs talking and jabbering and all, they went up like two mice. And they just gently opened that box. And of all things, they found that he had sandwiches, dried beef sandwiches. And that interested them very much because uh, father was a vegetarian. And mother ate a little meat when father, who was a farmer, would mow the, gr the grass, you know, the hay. Once in a while, he'd, he'd mow into a hen that was on her nest. And mother felt that was providential. So we had chicken. That is, she had chicken. We didn't. But when the <laughs> meal was finished and we all went back out into in the farm to work, you know, we boys figured some excuse. We're thirsty. Came back in the house to get a little drink of water and slipped into the, into the, in the pantry there and got a little bit of chicken. And the little bit we got tasted so good. So my older brothers, I think it was Lane and Lloyd, they, when they slipped upstairs and opened his lunchbox and saw it was dried beef, they just couldn't overcome their desire to just see what dried beef tasted like. So they took just a little nibble, <laughs> and it tasted kind of beefy. And they took a little more, and before they had realized what they'd done, they'd eaten all his dried beef. They just left the slices of bread. And now they knew they must do something about it. I'm telling you why Father would sometimes lose his patience with us. They knew they must do something. Now, what would boys do when they'd done a thing like that? Being very creative young men, they decided that they would uh, get some kind of meat for him. And they didn't know just what kind to get, but they had caught fish with uh, night crawlers. So they went out and got some, some angleworms, <laughs> night crawlers. And they put them between the slices. And they didn't stop to realize that the worms could worm their way out. So they had to come back and redo it all. And then they had to, of course, cut them up short. 
so they put a lot of short worms in. But, the, but still, the, the head part of the worm could wiggle enough to... So when he came to his, his lunch, he saw these worms looking at him, you know, just peeking out as far as they could get. He said, Mrs. Coon, somebody's been tampering with my lunch. She said, Elry, I'll tell you, it has not been my children. Thank the Lord for a loyal mother. <laughs> it's not been my children. They would not do it. She, he said, somebody has. She said, I want to assure you, my children would never do it. <laughs> you see how she made us preachers? She believed in us. <laughs> believed in us to a fault. When Father came home, you could imagine Father was slightly irritated. Can you imagine? And so he put... He put some pressure on our understanding. <clears throat> and he did it with, uh, with quite authority. And as he did it, <laughs> we could sense that he was, he was somewhat irritated. <laughs> now, this wasn't all. He had many other reasons. One day, father and mother were coming going out, they had little horses. They called them peanut butter horses. Father and mother sold peanut butter and stuffed dates. And they take those little, they call them peanut butter horses. They would start out, and two, three of my older brothers knew they wouldn't be back for several hours, so they decided that they would practice crucifixion. So they took my, bio, my brother, Miles Roy, and they were just stretching him up to a tree when Father had forgotten, and he just drove back in, and he saw them there just in the process. They were just going to nail through his coat, you know. They weren't going to hurt him. They were just going to string him up there just to see how it would look. And Father, of course, put the pressure on, and he was irritated. Uh, these are some of the innocent experiences. When it would come time at night <laughs> to have worship, I can't remember one time that we had worship. But what, after Father had read, and we were ready to kneel, Father would never kneel until he'd done what? Apologized. And so far as I recall, never once did he say, you made me do it. He never apologize for our mistakes. I lost my temper today. Will you forgive me? That, to my mind, is the height of Christianity. He that humbleth himself shall be exalted. He that exalteth himself shall be abased. To be able to say, I'm sorry, without turning to the other and say, it's your turn now, that's the height of Christianity. The Lord says, I will dwell with that person. He said, I will guide that person. I will reveal myself to that person. Can it be that the reason why tens of thousands of Christians are not receiving the guidance and the peace that they could have is because we're not big enough to say, I'm sorry, forgive me. I remember just one night that dad wasn't big enough to apologize. You may have read about it or heard about it in some other tape. Just one night. That day I had done, 
I'd done my very best to do anything that Dad said. If he'd shoe a horse and I would hand him the nails, for some reason it seemed I never could do it quite right. And he'd get irritated. I'd done my very best. That night, we had, we'd read together, <clears throat> we're ready to kneel, and we knelt. And Dad had never said he was sorry. After the worship was over, I was just a little tyke, maybe seven, eight. I went upstairs in that little old farmhouse, climbed into bed, and began to cry. I had done my best, but Dad had been awfully rough. And he wasn't big enough to say, I'm sorry. And you know, never once in my life did I ever talk back to my father. Never once when he heard it. But he didn't hear it. I was upstairs. I never realized I had such a vocabulary. It was a big vocabulary. It had great big words like hypocrite. The old hypocrite. When I grow up, I'll have nothing to do with his religion. Never. I'll never let him know it. When I grow up, I'll have nothing to do with it. He can preach all he wants to in that church. I'll have nothing to do with it. The hypocrite. And just then I felt the little old latch of the stairway door move. You remember those little old latches? And I said to myself, I bet the old hypocrite's coming up now. And sure enough, he was. And I turned my face to the wall. And I wanted to, I wanted to play a possum. <laughs> just played I was asleep. I thought, if I play a possum, he'll never know. That's a hard thing for a coon to do. <laughs> Tried to play a possum. He saw the big hot tears on my cheeks. Next thing I felt, his big arm around my shoulder. His face up next to mine. Glenn, will you forgive me? Friends, that was the biggest man who ever lived in my experience at that moment, he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. But if Lucifer is in our hearts, we cannot apologize without trying to make out that somebody else made us do it or somebody else must do it too. That's all satanic. Because Lucifer says, I will ascend. Nobody's going to put anything over on me. And Christ said, I'll humble myself. And I'll be obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I can't begin to explain, friends, what that meant to me. All through my life, I've been apologizing when I've made mistakes. Father could have preached it all his life, but he didn't. He practiced it. He practiced it. And by beholding, we're changed in the same image. You know, the greatest men who've ever lived have been great because they're humble. You know, I think of that wonderful experience of King David. Imagine the king, uh, uh, his subject comes in, his subject, whom the king could take his head off just like that. Nathan, the prophet, comes in and tells him a story. Tells him a story about a very wealthy man that had a big herd. 
a big flock of sheep. And a friend of his came, and instead of taking one of his sheep, of, of the hundreds of sheep, he took one, a sheep from a little poor man who had just one little ewe lamb that lay in his bosom at night. And it was like a child to him. And David's anger became so hot, he said, The man shall pay fourfold and he shall die. And Nathan the prophet turned to the king who could behead him in a second. He said, You're the man. He said, I gave you all the things that you'd need. I took you from the sheepfold. And I made you king. And I gave you this and I gave you that. And if you'd needed, I'd given you more. And he said, You took. You took this man's little lamb, his wife, and you slew him with the sword of the enemy. And David said, Nathan, I've sinned. A king saying to his subject, I've sinned against the Lord. Never was David greater in the sight of God than when he could say, I've sinned. I've sinned against the Lord. You know, we often hear about two men that went up in the end of the temple to pray. One was what? A Pharisee. You see, he went to church and he said, it's, it's fair, you see, that I should tell the Lord how good I am. So, uh, but the Lord knew it was sad, you see. So as he stood there and prayed with himself, Lord, I thank you. I'm so grateful that I'm not like the rest of these people. These poor nuts come to church. And look at this publican <laughs> robbing people. Oh, Lord, I fast, I pay tithe. <laughs> look at what I do. <laughs> and the publican smote on his breast and wouldn't even look up to heaven. And he said, what? God be merciful to me, a sinner. He was the greatest man in that temple because he was big enough to say, Lord, I'm sorry. Now what happens? What happens when the Holy Spirit comes into our life, Christ through the medium of the Holy Spirit, when he comes into our life and we are big enough to apologize without inferring that somebody else made us do it, what happens? Romans chapter 5, verse 1. It says, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. My favorite author has made a statement that the highest joy springs from the deepest humiliation. Think of that. The highest joy springs from the deepest humiliation. The more we humble ourselves before the Lord, truly humbling ourselves, the greater is our peace. If we start justifying ourselves, the peace goes, right? There's no peace. I've noticed every time that I've ever started justifying myself, I lose my peace of mind. Notice it. But every time I say I'm sorry, even if another person is twice as, is guilty, every time I'm say, I say I'm sorry, will you forgive me? I didn't represent Jesus. Peace of mind comes back. Have you ever found it? It happens constantly. It's right there all the while. Constantly. Now as a result of this, the Lord taught me because of my father and his apology that I should teach others this by precept 
an example. And uh, if you look at the next picture on this lovely screen that our sister is uh, putting on, we will we'll see some of the things that can happen. When, uh, yes, after I went to bed sobbing, <laughs> I got ahead of her story, didn't we? And Dad came in and apologized. Do you know he had peace of mind? True peace of mind. In our ministry, I decided that I would follow Dad's example. So when I would make a mistake in the church, I'd stand right up before my whole church and apologize. Do you know it did something? I remember. I had a most interesting experience. I was holding a series of meetings about uh, several decades ago with my brother down in Florida. And the Holy Spirit came in, and we had a wonderful time. And my brother Lester turned to me near the close, and he said, Glenn, I kind of think you're a prophet. <laughs> I wasn't. <laughs> I was just poor old Glenn Coon, as you'll see in a moment. But uh, we had a marvelous outpouring of the Spirit. I went back to Madison College, to our new church, and the next Sabbath afternoon, we had a little gathering of some of the officers of the church. And in that gathering, one of these ladies stood up and posed a very silly question. <laughs> and I gave a very happy, sarcastic answer. I smiled all the while, <laughs> and I just gave it beautifully. And I said, as I closed the meeting, I said, I did a pretty good job, didn't I? I really put her in her place. I did it very sweetly. <laughs> and on the way home, I said to my wife, that was pretty good, wasn't it? And my wife didn't say a word. And when she doesn't say a word, I know what she means. She means you might study that over a little more. And I said, uh, wasn't that all right? <laughs> and she said about two words, not sure. I thought, what, have I made a mistake? So I took her home, I jumped in my car, went to see a medical doctor who was my first elder, and I said, tell me frankly, did I uh, make a mistake at what I said there? He said, what you said was true, but you shouldn't have said it. And then the Holy Spirit just bore down on me. Here, one week before, we're having an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This week, I had said something unadvisedly, and I began to call <clears throat> members who were there, officers, one after another on the telephone. And I said, will you forgive me? And then after I'd called a number, it dawned over me that I wasn't sure just how many were there. So the next time I stood up to speak, <clears throat> I said, before I speak today, some of you were at a meeting last Sabbath afternoon, and I spoke unadvisedly. And I said, I want to ask you to forgive me. And there was a medical doctor sitting at my left, about three seats from the front. And when I said, will you forgive me, he burst into tears just like that. I knew what it meant. It meant that he knew that the Holy Spirit was in my heart. He that humbleth himself shall be what? Exalted. We went so far in our ministry that in one town where we held a series, we put out a handbill. And this handbill, 
represented what you see right there. We decided that we'd start the handbill with these words. We apologize. Can you imagine our church minister, any church minister, putting out a handbill inviting the people to a series of meetings with the words, we apologize? We apologize wherein we've been sanctimonious, wherein we've been unkind, wherein we've been uncold. I don't recall all we put. And we invite you to a series of meetings we're holding. About the middle of the week, a man walked up to me at the close of one of the meetings, uh, at the close of that meeting, and he said, Brother Kuhn, I was greatly impressed with that handbill. <coughs> he said, I used to be a member of the church, and we had a little difficulty. <coughs> I have not been to that church, to this church, he said, for years. And when I saw that handbill, we apologize. <coughs> he said, I'm going over to see if they mean it. I can't believe it. I'm going to see if they mean it. He said, I came over and I found that you met it. He said, I want to be rebaptized, and I want to unite with this church. He that humbleth himself shall be exalted. I said to myself, that works so well that I'm going to use it. We went out to California, <clears throat> and I said to the pastor, let's put out a, 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 a handbill like that. He said, what? I said, say not. He said, we shouldn't tell the people we make mistakes. <clears throat> well, I said, they already know it. <clears throat> they don't know that we know it. And during that series, I pointed out in the series some mistakes that we make, mistakes that I have made. And the pastor <laughs> was different from our pastor. That pastor was so scared. As I was telling about mistakes I'd made and how God had forgiven me, that my wife would tell me as I went home at night, she said, you know how that pastor looked? She said, he looked as though you and, you and he were in a little canoe and you were doing the paddling and he was scared for fear at any moment it would overturn. As you're talking... And he said to me, do you think anybody has ever wanted you, will ever want to unite with our church when you're telling them the mistakes we make? I said, pastor, they already know. They don't know we know. He went to the conference president. He said, we've got a strange man here holding a series of meetings. He's telling the world the mistakes we make. He said, nobody will ever come to the altar and want to unite with the church on that basis. The last Sabbath we had an altar call and 24 people came to the altar signifying they would like to unite with that church, a church that would be humble enough to say, forgive us, please forgive us. He that humbleth himself shall be what? Exalted. He that exalteth himself shall be abased. We're holding a series of meetings in El Paso, Texas, six years ago. <clears throat> As we were there, we had a motorhome right next to the church. A deacon, his name was Pyle, Brother Pyle. He said, Brother Kuhn, I have a brother and his wife who used to come to church. Eight or nine years ago, we had a little trouble in the church, and he said they were on the losing side, whatever that means. And he said they've never been into church since. I said, are they still members? He said, yes, they're members. I said, uh, would you direct me how to get there? So he did, and I took Brother Danielson, a new member of our team, went over and rang the doorbell. 
and Brother, and sister, brother Pyle came to the door, and I said, Brother Pyle, you don't know us? My name is Kuhn. This is Brother Danielson. We're holding a series of meetings here. And I said, we have come to apologize to you. Never met him before. I've, we've come to apologize to you for our being cold as a church. We are coming to ask you, will you please forgive us? And I talked to him for about 20 minutes, telling how lonesome we are for those that were once with us. And oh, how we'd love to be, have you back. We don't deserve it, but we'd appreciate it. And then we closed our series. It was near the close. When on our way, we came back last year to El Paso. Parked our motor home there. A man by the name of Brother Pyle said, Brother Kuhn, do you remember when you were here five years ago that you visited my brother and his wife? I said, no, I don't remember. You don't? No, I said, would you reconstruct it? So he reconstructed it as I have with you. And he said, you know what happened, Brother Kuhn? He said, they have been coming to church ever since. And he said, for six long months, after you and Brother Danielson went to see them and, and apologized to them, for six long months, this man tried to find you, calling you on the telephone all over America, trying to find you to thank you. <laughs> they couldn't find us because we belonged to what they call the Advent Movement. We keep moving. He said, that's how happy my brother and his wife were, that you would come as a minister and say, will you forgive us? I said, you mean they're coming? He said, yeah, they're coming to your meetings here. I said, tell me, where do they sit and what do they look like? I've forgotten all about it. I found they look just like people. And he said, they sit at your extreme left about two-thirds of the way back. And so when I saw them come in before the meeting, <laughs> I walked over to Brother Pyle. I said, Brother Pyle, I have something for you. So he wondered what it was. I said, it's a coon hug. You know, a coon hug is a hug by Glenn Coon to a man. A man. <clears throat> Not the ladies. <clears throat> I give them coon handshakes. That man was so happy. His wife was so happy. <clears throat> what had we done? We had done nothing in the world except what Jesus Christ does. He was God. It was not robbery to be equal with God. He made himself of no reputation. He took on him in the form of a servant. He was despised. He was jeered at. It, at. He was ridiculed. And he answered not a word except, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Oh, my, it's wonderful. We've gone into home after home of backsliders and apologized they'd been back to church. When I talked to Brother Pyle, whom, into whose home we had gone, uh, I said, Brother Pyle, will you reconstruct a little more of that visit? I don't remember it at all. I do remember going there now. But I said, I don't remember. Well, he said, Brother Coon, he said, as you apologized, he said, I tried to say, Pastor, I will shoulder my part. And he said, you wouldn't let me. I didn't tell him he was right, because you can't do that. Never side with a sinner. But we can always apologize to a sinner if we've been cold, right? We're not telling him he's right. We're just telling him we were too cold. He said, and I started saying, Brother Kuhn, I want to shoulder my part, and you wouldn't let me. He said, you just out-talked me. 
you told me how lonesome the church was, how much you'd love to have me back. And he said, it warmed me so much, my wife and I said, let's go back. And we've been going back ever since. Isn't that wonderful, what God will do through humility? I have a favorite author. My favorite author has made a statement in a little red book that I like, I keep in my library even when I travel. And it says in a little volume 9, page 189, a little red book, it says, if we would humble our hearts before God, if we do what? Humble our hearts and be kind and courteous and tender-hearted and pitiful, there would be 100 conversions where now there is one. How about that? We have many great promotional campaigns. We have all kinds of advertising programs. I don't know of any of them that are not good. But the best thing in the world to win men and women to Jesus Christ is to humble ourselves and ask God to keep us from being sanctimonious. My wife and I, back 20 years ago, went down to Florida with a Metropolitan car. Have you ever seen those little cars? It was a sweet little thing. The only thing, its heart was evil. Had a pretty smile, but its heart was evil. And we had a lot of trouble. We fixed it up, finally. Advertised it in the Orlando paper. A lady came to look at it. I gave her a test drive. And as I was giving her this test, taking for this test drive, she said, what is your business? I said, uh, I'm a minister. She said, of what church? I told her. Oh, she said, I have a question. I have a question I'd like to ask you. Oh, yes. She said, why are the members of your faith so sanctimonious? And then before I could answer, she said, well, I think I know the answer. She said, you see, there are a lot of things that you as Christians can't eat that the rest of us can. <coughs> you see, she didn't add that since there are things you can't eat, you eat people. <laughs> she didn't say that. I was glad. And she said, there are a lot of pleasures that the other Christian world can engage in that you can't. And you have to do something, she said, to, uh, to compensate. Isn't that awful? Isn't that awful? I said, sister, there's no place for the Christian except at the foot of the cross. I don't want to be sanctimonious, do you? I don't want my family to feel that I'm lording it over them. Do you? I don't want my neighbors to feel that I'm saying I'm right and you're wrong. Do you? I want the world to know that I know that I'm just an unworthy but child of God and he's merciful and compassionate, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth. Amen. A couple businessmen, one was a millionaire, drove up to see me at Roan Mountain, Tennessee, where we live, and <clears throat> I saw between them a, a little periodical. It was called Health. <clears throat> and, of course, I knew where they got that. Some lovely call porter had sold them the little periodical. And I thought maybe I'll encourage them to read it. I said, you have a wonderful magazine there lying between you. And the one man looked at me and glared at me, he said, yes. And he said, and the person who sold it to me made me feel like a pagan. 
May God bless every literature evangelist. But may God keep all of us from thinking it's our duty to bring conviction to another heart. Amen. That's the business of the Holy Spirit. Our duty is to humble ourselves in the sight of God. Husbands, let's ask our wives as we go home. Let's ask them to forgive us. Amen. Husbands, let's ask. Wives, let's ask our husbands to forgive us. They may go into shock. <coughs> but it'll be good. I'm thinking of that big deacon that was sitting right about where the pastor is. A great big deacon sitting next to his wife, and she was a big woman. And I was preaching on a, on a, on a Sabbath morning, and, and as I looked at this deacon and his wife, I felt strongly impressed that they didn't have the peace that they could have if maybe he would apologize. As I looked at her poor little weak face, I thought, Brother, I'm afraid he's been deking. <clears throat> And so I just looked off in the opposite direction. I said, brethren, as we leave the church this morning and go home, let's tell our wives that we love them. And I went right ahead with my sermon. That night, I went to pick up this man and his wife. Different people took turns bringing them to meetings. And it was my turn. And I went and they put them in the back seat. I came through the busy, well-lighted town. And as we got about halfway through town, this man said, Brother Kuhn, you know what you told me to do this morning. I thought, what? He took it personally, didn't he? That's what I hoped he would do. <laughs> but I didn't want him to know that I saw him. <laughs> I said, what's that? He said, you told me to go home and tell my wife I loved her. Oh, was, oh is that, it does seem like I mentioned something like that. He said, I did. <clears throat> did you really? Wonderful. He said, you know what happened? I said, what happened? He said, I went home and I said to my wife, Honey, I love you. And she said, you do? What's happened? And he said, I repeated, I love you. And she said, are you crazy? And he said, I kept repeating, I love you, honey, I love you. And I said, he said, I finally persuaded her. And he turned to her and he chuckled. And he said, I persuaded you finally, didn't I, honey? <laughs> and she chuckled back. She said, yes, honey. And I thought, isn't that wonderful? Two big chunks of honey. <clears throat> certainly ought to have more honey than a little chunk of honey. There were about 200-pound honeys. <laughs> it's wonderful what happens when we're willing to humble ourselves. Going back to Dad, there we were at the worship, night after night. Daddy's sitting there before we'd kneel, ready to apologize. And then he'd apologize. <sighs> I've been rough today. I've been irritated today. Will you forgive me? And there, that happened from the time I was a little tyke. Seven of us brothers there. <laughs> and I remember my oldest brothers, their voices, men's voices. They'd say, he'd say, will you forgive me? They'd say, yes, yes, yes. Went down, came down to my voice, yes. It was a beautiful chorus. I wish we had a reproduction. And mother's heart was so touched that she in almost every case would say, and her her voice would break, and me too. And again, yes, 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 yes. But they're all in a chorus. And then my brother Clinton and Miles, it'd go right down the circle, every one of us apologizing. By beholding, we are a part of the same image. And then I'd come, little Paula, 
will you forgive me too? And all the chorus would say yes. And then sometimes Father would lead us in this chorus. There are angels hovering round. There are angels hovering round. There are angels, angels hovering round to carry the tidings home to the new Jerusalem. There are angels, angels hovering round. And they were. Dear Lord in heaven, thank you for hearing us. In Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.